0: Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development, at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nailers Natter, just talking to
1: teachers. Hello and welcome to this week's Nailers Natter. So this week I'm in conversation with pupil premium and vulnerable learners champion Mark Rowland. So Mark is a research school director, an author, and although he wouldn't claim it himself, as he's far too modest, an expert on the use of pupil premium. So we discuss in this podcast the history of the pupil premium, and as Mark writes in his blog on the Research School website, since its introduction in 2011, the pupil premium has helped zero in on the damaging but enduring relationship between family income and school success. We discuss our thinking on best use of the Pupil Premium has shifted with both the EEF guide and the newly published DFE guidance reflecting some recent changes. Mark also confronts some popular myths and misconceptions and gives you the listeners some concrete advice to take and action in your school. But before we get into the interview with Mark, we have Maria from the Teacher Development Trust in our Sheffield studio, and she's talking to my colleague Alex Beecham. Hello Alex who is the TDT's expert advisor in Sheffield. And they'll be having a natter about how the project has impacted schools as it comes to an end in March 2020. So over to you, Maria and Alex.
2: Hi, Phil. It's Maria. I'm here in Sheffield today with our expert advisor, Alex Beecham, who is based at Hunter's Bar Junior School, but has been leading our TELA-funded excellence hub in the area for almost three years now. Uh, we just had a really exciting hub meeting with some of the schools in Sheffield who are involved in the project. And I'm delighted to say that he's joined me for a bit of a chat now to talk through what we're seeing and some of the impacts in those schools. So, Alex, Hello. would you mind introducing yourself and just talking about what the project entails in a bit more detail?
3: Sure. Hello, Maria. Um, so my name is Alex Beecham. I'm the lead practitioner and assistant head at Huntson Bar Junior School here in Sheffield. And I am currently on the succumbent uh, with the TDT, and um, that is to run uh, an an excellent CPD hubs project with seven schools in the Sheffield and Chesterfield area, and it's uh, a real pleasure for me to talk to you today.
2: Great. So one of the things that we do and run as part of this programme is every half term these seven schools come together, uh, and we meet for two hours, and you explore a real key aspect or theme to do with CPD and I know that this is the second one I've attended with you now and it feels like a really powerful opportunity for these CPD leaders to come together and be strategic. Today we were talking a bit about uh, middle leaders and their responsibility of CPD and a bit about evaluation tools including the framework by Thomas Gusky, who's been a previous Nela's Natter guest. Uh, why do you think these hubs are so important?
3: Yeah, um, so essentially, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It really gives people the time and the space to be strategic about professional learning. We value learning extremely highly in the hubs forums, so it's an opportunity for two hours every six weeks or so to receive, from um, the point of to receive new, fresh ideas about professional learning. So we, um, as the expert advisor, I draw research. From, well, from international sources and through the TDT particularly and we come together and we bring our thoughts together we think about what can make the biggest difference to our schools when um, we go back to them so it's a great opportunity it gives us the space the time and actually allows us to um, challenge each other as well I very much see myself as being an uh, um, uh, equal to each of the schools and we I use myself as a model as well so um, when the schools are looking at their priorities for professional learning, I'll always consider mine as well. And even though we have different backgrounds, as such, that are, we are drawn together by this—the love of, of professional learning and how the impact can have on children's outcomes—essentially,
2: fantastic. And then, what does that look like when the leaders come together and then they go back in their schools? Is there a particular example of a colleague you can think of where you've actually seen that tr- transformation play out?
3: Well, most of all, if not all of the colleagues uh, take their learning back uh, to their wider leadership teams, also the SLT. A good example is one school um, will always bring another member of the SLT to the forums, which is brilliant. So then they're able to um, challenge each other to bring their ideas back. And as we all know, it's really important to challenge their own biases. So when you've got two people who come to a forum, they're able to return to their school and they're able to um, fill in the gaps where perhaps others, uh, the other person may have a slightly different opinion. Um, but that will filter back to the SLT and each of the um, head teachers for our schools are extremely passionate about their involvement with the TDT project and uh, we've seen plenty of examples where the head teachers will contact me directly to say um, they're, you know, they're really enjoying the engagement that they're having with the TDT um, particularly around the CPD cycle so this is um, something that I'm extremely passionate about and uh, each of the schools have taken on board so using the, the DfE standards uh, for professional learning Um, a number of other research-based materials where we're looking at um, how we can embed long-term sustainable professional learning, thinking about how it ties in with the planning, the implementation, uh, but also making sure that um, professional learning is revisited regularly over um, perhaps two to three years, actually. So we're looking at long-term professional learning here, and we're thinking about opportunities for collaboration, and we're thinking about how research-informed, and also tweaking Uh, any professional that's implemented into school to make it fit with their particular context. So taking the best that research has to offer and then making sure that fits into a a usable model that everyone can discuss in our forum Mm. and allows us to have a common framework for discussion purposes.
2: Yeah, and it was so powerful today to hear some of those uh, colleagues talk about how they had moved away from this sort of one-off delivery from SLT to using this cycle and becoming a lot more evaluative and then feeling that their colleagues and other teachers in the school were so much more aware of how their CPD and their development was then impacting on pupil outcomes. So, yeah, it's really exciting. And thank you so much for your work in the area and and for talking to us today. Phil, host of Neela's Natter, is doing exactly the same thing in, in Blackpool, so that's really exciting. And onwards and upwards, I say. Back to you in the studio, Phil.
1: Brilliant to hear from you both, Alex and Maria. And also brilliant to sound like an unwanted interruption from what could have been a low-flying aircraft or possibly even a Hoover. So thank you for staying professional and keeping with it there. As ever, if you want to find out more, then head over to the TDT website. So that's www.tdtrust.org. So now, without further ado, let's listen to my interview with the wonderful... Mark Rowland. Okay, so hello Mark and welcome to the podcast. Uh, hi Phil, thank,
0: thank you for asking me to, uh, to talk uh, about people premiums.
1: No problem, and thank you for being there because I know how busy you are and I believe you're speaking to me live from a hotel room, this is the dedication from the Research School Network, fantastic. It's very glamorous hotel room as well. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine absolutely. So we'll start with the gentle introduction, Mark, as we do with all the guests. So could you just tell listeners a little bit about your journey to this point and your current role? So
0: uh, I've done a lot of work uh, uh, over the last, I guess. Now uh, it gets a bit scary, this, doesn't it? It's sort of eight, 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 eight to ten years, really, around the Early days of, 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 of pupil premium sort of policy Im- implementation, networks evolved o- o- over time. And now, we're really, across, you know, across the country, uh, through the sort of research school network based at uh, Unity Research School over, over in Suffolk, but across the country, really, from Cumbria down to Cornwall, uh, working with schools, groups of schools, local authorities, maths through a number of schools like uh, Durrington and uh, you know, the, the, the Norwich Research School, also colleagues up in, you know, in, in, in Doncaster and beyond, working uh, to support schools to take, you know, a, a, I guess, a, a more evidence-informed strategy for tackling educational disadvantage, but also you know, a, a, a aligning that with, you know, I, I guess, uh, what we know about effective practice and effective process but also about values, uh, too. And I've done a number of, uh, I, I guess, long-term analyses of uh, what is happening in schools that are performing consistently well by their disadvantaged pupils, and also what is happening in those that struggle with that as well. Just quite recently finished a big review, a year-long review of a you know, high-profile multi-academy trust uh, uh, a report for them and, and also did uh, had a deep look at um uh, what was happening in two opportunity areas in o- in Oldham and Derby again and uh, what was happening where schools were successful uh, by uh, the, the disadvantaged people in communities that are facing some uh, some challenging circumstances as well and uh, yeah so at the moment running really working from uh, North Yorkshire. Uh, down to Cornwall and also some work with, with, in Jersey too and I also am uh, doing a little bit of work with, with the DFE around uh, accountability reform around pupil premium and I, I think we've taken some really positive steps in the right direction uh, on, on that too you know, that sense of moving to a three year strategy rather than you know the one year reporting cycle which leans towards quick fixes and itemising fund, funding expenditure rather than you know, a, a, a long term approach to address Address pupil need. So yeah, lots of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I I find it it's a great privilege, yeah, of course, to be asked into schools. Uh, met some amazing colleagues. Yeah, and, and, and made some really good friends as well. Yeah, uh, working across the country. You know, it's a challenging issue. <laughs> this and 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 um. You know, it's, it's, so longer-term work it ten, t- tends to be the most the most effective. Uh, and it? But it's, it's, schools
1: are endlessly fascinating places, aren't they? Uh, yeah. so, so so lots to do uh, still. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, the, the focus of this podcast is very much going to be around uh, the pupil premium. And obviously, yeah. you know, listeners will be aware of, you know, your work that you talked about there and also the books that you've written around this. And I just want to, to draw listeners' attention to one particular uh, quote from your updated guide to the pupil premium. So it says yeah. that the measure of a successful education system, whether at local or national level, should be how its disadvantaged pupils perform. So yeah. I guess you know, nice easy question to start. Mark, is, <laughs> is this measure being used? You think, and are we making progress nationally on outcomes for disadvantaged pupils?
0: So, so I, I I I think it's patchy. Uh, I, I I I I absolutely stand by that 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 quote. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I think, you know, how we perform by the most vulnerable has to be the true measure of success. That's where, you know, um, that's where the effect size of a teacher is, is, is greatest, isn't it? I mean, one of the conversations around work around pupil premium, one of the conversations that comes up uh, at, at times is around parental involvement, and, you know. Um, you know, and, and, and school leaders and teachers being frustrated at um, you know, sometimes rural uh, families not having the capacity to you know to provide uh, the, the support uh, for, for for disadvantaged people that you know perhaps some other family do have you know that sort of social financial and cultural capital. But what I'd argue is. They're the children that education matters most for, those children that don't, uh, that where families don't currently have the capacity to support uh, at home. That's where we can have the greatest impact. I, 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 I think that message is increasingly sort of understood. I think sometimes the, the high stakes accountability that we have in our system works against that because people uh, get frustrated. Uh, because actually they're not quite getting the results that sometimes their efforts and, and, and energies would 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 deserve. But um, but I think always, and I think always, we have to you know take a sharp look in the mirror again around this. Really, uh, Phil, that actually, you know, how do we perform by our most uh, most vulnerable? That for me is the, is the true measure of your sort of high expectations. You know, that are disadvantaged, and most vulnerable people, particularly those that are low-prior attainers, you know, get at least equitable access to you know, a, a, a rich, challenging curriculum, but also you know, well-trained, well-qualified teachers and, 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 and other staff. I, 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 in terms of wh- whether we're sort of nailing that gap, I, I, I'm not sure it's the most helpful metric. I, I'd rather uh, personally say we should focus on raising the attainment uh, of our disadvantaged pupils rather than narrowing the, the, the gap. I think the research from the Sutton Trust quite recently around how much, um, you know, how much pri- private tuition is going on for some children makes that, you know, that, that, that gap. It's something we're almost sort of chasing the wind with trying to tackle that, that, that issue. Uh, but what we can do you know, it, by improving the attainment of our disadvantaged pupils, we give them a great education which gives them choice an opportunity and that and that opens doors and that, i i'd argue that's what, uh, what what um you know creates a great education now i i, I think we've made greater strides probably and this is a big generalization at the primary than we have at secondary i think that's partly to do with you know how relationships relationships get more and more complex as pupils sort of get older the accountability to perhaps one or two adults that exists in primary whereas you know, that becomes more complex in in, in secondary the influence appears and, 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 and more as, as as people get older, but also the thing that nobody has yet been able to explain to me uh bill uh, uh, and maybe this is perhaps something for a future podcast I don't know, but um why our system sets up that thirty percent of our pupils have to fail each, each year and and that. I'd argue that actively discriminates against pupils from less fortunate backgrounds, also those that have special educational needs and disabilities. They're, um, they're most likely to be uh, impacted by that, and, and, and of course pupils that face other vulnerabilities, like adverse childhood experiences, those the, 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 those, those kinds of things. So I think we're, I, I, I think we're making some really really good progress, um, but you know. I, there's a lot to do still. I, I, I would argue. I think our thinking has come a long way on this, moving away from, you know, intervention-heavy uh, approaches to, you know, getting it right in, in in the classroom. And I think that that thinking really, really has it, it evolved. And and what I see, and I can't put a proportion on this because I think it depends on where a school is in its imp- improvement cycle, Phil. Uh, but Schools that perform consistently well by their disadvantaged pupils, I'd argue, spend a greater proportion of the resource, energy, pupil premium, whatever time, um, developing teaching and learning over sort of academic and, and pastoral interventions. Now, there's always going to be a need for those, but schools that are performing most effectively by the disadvantaged pupils in, 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 are, are able to invest more energy and resource into, into getting it right in the classroom first and foremost i think there's an aside really really briefly as well that we have to recognise uh without wanting to say political that I'd, that 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 investment in children through the pupil premium that investment in poor children over the last 10 years has been a vote against the current of wider social policy you know uh, you know it's cuts a sure start social care budget children services you know, destination of sort of local authority uh, funding and that, you know, and things like universal credit, I think those things have negated some of the impact uh, and, and funding cuts in real terms to schools as well. And I think some of those cuts have negated the impact of the pupil premium. I think we'd have been further along in terms of, you know, with greater levels of child poverty, all of those kinds of things, uh, that those have negated some of the impact of, of pupil premium that we could have seen if it was in a more stable funding environment particularly around social issues which are increasingly landing on
1: schools doorsteps i i, I think mm-hmm. no absolutely and there's so much there that we're going to touch on as we make our way through the yep. podcast um, yep. just wanted to, to touch on something that it's a bit of a personal reflection really so as you obviously yep. as the same as you i'm working within a research school and we provide you know free twilight sessions around yep. and one of them we provided was around EES guys at a pupil premium uh, and yeah. what, what struck both Simon Cox and I was that the number of people that came and we, we're very fortunate that are lots and lots of people come to these events yeah. um, but yeah. the number of people who've been newly appointed as pupil yeah. premium leads in their schools so we did sort of a straw poll and a show of hands and said you know who's got this role who's got that role and who's who's been appointed pupil premium lead and it was you yeah. know it was that three quarters so imagine you're a listener who's just been appointed pupil premium lead you know where would you start that sort of journey of discovery? Okay,
0: I I I think that's you know, I, 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 I think it's a really good observation. We see I I, I think that that role changing quite frequently in, in in schools. I think it's important that that's seen as a long term role, not something you know that that that, that um you know, that should be you know sort of a path of the parcel role. What my my, my advice really uh, would be, I think ditch the label, you know, and, and, and focus on the needs of, of, of pupils, you know, So, pupil premium as a label tells us very, very little about uh, children pupils as, as as individuals or a collective. Uh, we need to be picking out, you know, what are the needs of our, 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 our disadvantaged and vulnerable learners and, and, and start there. I think because... If we focus on the label, I, I, I'd argue that the strategies that we adopt are going to be out of focus to get driven by oh, their pupil premium, we get driven by the accountability rather than actually the learning needs or the pastoral needs of, the, of, of those pupils. Some pupils that have those needs won't be pupil premium. So, so, some will. And, of course, there, are, there there is lots of levels of disadvantage within that pupil premium label. For example, the longer a pupil, on average, is eligible for preschool meals you know, the the lower the attainment. This is stuff that Professor Stephen Goral has identified, you know, and and also the impact of things like adverse childhood experiences involvement, social care, again, high mobility. All of those things are, you know, sort of real flags uh, for greater risk of uh, uh, underachievement. But also, even deeper than that, sort of, you know, gaps in learning because of perhaps high mobility, poor attendance, health issues, a language gap a social interaction gap, a self-confidence gap, all of those kind of things. We need to be unpicking it on a much deeper level than the label. What I, would, I, what I think we need to get better at on this uh, is, is thinking about teacher agency. So teachers in the classroom are the key intervention for getting it right uh, for, for, for our disadvantaged pupils. They are the people in the school that will know those children best, uh uh so, so, so it's talking to them and making sure that there's a collective you know a collective understanding of uh, uh, and people feel an ownership and a buy into any strategy that we're adopting so really as a pupil premium lead if that's your unusual role you should almost be trying to do yourself out of a job and, and, and securing that collective responsibility for those uh for, for those people and a sense of ownership uh for, for, for it uh I would call it, you know a, a, you know, a vulnerable or a disadvantaged learners' lead rather than a pupil premium lead. But personally, because I think that, that I'd argue that's a little bit more meaningful. Um, but yeah, always come back to the needs of pupils. That has to be the starting point rather than uh, you know the, the, the label. The other thing that I would do, you know, without racking up the things to do on, on this role, just early on, um, is, is to get into classrooms and see those see those pupils. Uh, not that bits, of, you know. Of course, things like passports, everything can be really useful. Data can be useful. It can be useful to a degree, but actually, you know, how well are these pupils, you know, you know, you know to use the sort of Rob Co definition, you know, are these pupils thinking hard in their lessons? Are they participating in classroom talk? Are they involved in discussions? Are they asking questions? You know, are we seeing those self-regulation? Strategies being adopted by those pupils within their within their learning, yeah, um, those are the things that, that that will make the biggest difference. Pupil premium is not about big shiny interventions and things like that. It's about a thousand little interactions, day in, day out, week in, week out, term in, term out, for those pupils that makes all, all, all the difference. And if you're you know if you're from a less fortunate background in reception. Where you, have, you know perhaps perhaps you've been exposed to less language, less conversation, less talk, less play, just because of challenging circumstances that you know, families face. It's pretty tough growing up in this country on you know on, on a salary that makes you eligible for free school meals. If you're then on the margins of that lesson, if you don't participate when children are singing a song together or you know or, or involved in discussions, then I I I think you very very quickly. Learn to hide in those classrooms, and then we see as pupils get a little bit older, you know, op- learning how to opt out of lessons, desktop truancy, or perhaps a more combustible approach to avoid sort of failure in in, in learning. To
1: see those pupils in the classroom, that that, that that's where it really really matters. No, absolutely, and it was interesting that the other quarter of people, and again, this is just a rough estimate of a straw yeah. poll, so it's not by any means you know replicated nationally. But the other quarter were uh, in, involved in teaching and learning, or they were responsible for teaching and learning. So that was quite yeah. interesting. Yeah, there, there has to be there has to be a, a, you know a crossover uh, between those two
0: the, the, those two areas. Otherwise, you know, we go. I, I think you're more likely to go down the you know the sort of intervention of uh, interventionist route and, and yeah you know, and, and I'd argue that you know too often we, we see spikes in, you, know, in, in, you know we see gains from from those those interventions but actually they tail away and you get sort of frequent flyers repeat customers on 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 those types of types of things so it has to sit with you know it, it, we should be intervening to gaps in learning uh rather than at, attainment levels uh, which I think uh, which, which is too blunt
1: no, definitely. And uh, what we're going to do later on uh, is talk about some sort of popular myths. Uh, I know the EF report has been yeah. similar in terms of popular yeah. myths, so hopefully you can help us with those. But before we get into course, that, something I liked from your book as well was you talked about these hundreds of different interactions that are taking place day-to-day in classrooms and yeah. you talk about your test and learn approach for, for, for new kind of activities. Um, just tell us a little bit more about what you meant by that. Yeah, so, so it's I, I think one of the, you know, perhaps
0: one of the weaker areas that we see in, um, in in terms of impact evaluation, you know, in, 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 in one of the weaker areas we see in, in, in schools pupil premium strategies is is uh, in, impact evaluation. Are the things that we're doing really, really making a, a, a difference? And and i sort of learnt this really from it was at Rosendale School, and we ran a, you know, we at a, a randomised controlled trial around uh, developing metacognition in the cl- in in the classroom and, and and about how you go about trialing and t- and testing things to see whether they're making a, d- a difference or, or not and i think what happens really is that often impact evaluation gets muddled up with accountability and as soon as you sort of uh, uh as soon as there's a crossover between the two, I, I, I think you're really on, uh, uh, yeah, uh, you're in trouble, <laughs> actually. We need to decouple evaluation from accountability. We're not trying to prove what we're doing is working. We're trying to find out whether it's working because you know, in schools at the moment, we've got limited time, we've got limited funds, we've got limited resources. You know, issues with teacher workload, issues with children, I think there's an issue around curriculum equity. You know, I think we have an issue with, you know, and what I mean by that is that often our children from the poorest backgrounds with who have, you know, lack board vistas in their, in, in their life, limited experiences, limited exposure to language, you know, often they get a more narrow curriculum offer than in schools because, you know, we're, we're trying to sort of backfill on on gaps. So we have to be making sure that the things that we're doing are are, are effective and really, really making a difference. And, 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 and that's the test and learn approach to try it out before we roll out things across uh, the school or keep doing things en- endlessly because, you know, X member of staff is really popular and, uh, and, and they've been really, really committed to it. Someone being committed to something is not necessarily a good pro- pro- proxy for it being uh, successful. So I think we need to get better at that. I also think that we can end up being, you know, o- overclaiming impact. Sometimes, yeah, when actually we have to talk about what does that mean? And we end up talking about activity rather than impact on, on, on pupils. So it's, it, come back again, tests and learn is about, yeah, it's not about proving that we've been successful. It's about finding out whether we are. And the key to that is is really um, you know, being really, really specific about what we're trying to achieve. Again, Rob Coe talks about this, about mistaking school improvement. And sometimes you know, if we're really vague about what we're trying to achieve, we might say things like we're going to improve teaching and learning or improve feedback. Yeah. Or improve metacognition. When we use really, really vague proxies for success like that, it's then really easy to it's really easy to claim success as a result of it, isn't it? Um, yeah. And uh So that tests and learn tells us, uh, you know, it it really helps us to evaluate uh, whether we're being effective or or not and whether the things are worth doing. So it's about, you know, not just doing pre and post tests, but trying to find some kind of comparison group. I know that can be difficult uh, sometimes, uh, triangulating data, not just asking those involved whether they think it was successful or not, um, because... People tend to uh, you know, uh, uh, overestimate how effective something they spent lots of time uh, on. Um, you know, and, and to try and unpick that, that, that impact a little bit uh, a little bit more effectively. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example, Phil, uh, about how you can, you can overclaim. You can end up you know, thinking things a bit a bit better than they actually are. I was running the, um, I was running the Jersey Marathon at the weekend. And, um, and I've been doing a lot of work at, in Jersey over the last four years. And as I was running through the course, lots and lots of people were shouting, go Mark, go Mark. And I was thinking, oh, wow. <laughs> I've had a good impact here. Lots of people in Jersey know me. And, it, and then I had a low point where I'm such a, <laughs> a plank sometimes. I looked down and my name had been put on, on, the, on, the, on the running badge. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So actually, what, that was a low point going up a hill. But you can easily... Yeah, you know, I, I, I think we're we're poor judges. You know, so I was at first I think, gosh, have I had an impact on this island? And actually, it wasn't at all. And, and it's really easy, I think, to see what we want to see uh, sometimes. And that's why you know comparison groups, peer evaluations, getting an outsider to come and look at how effective what you're doing is really really important as part of that test, uh, that test and learn approach. I think the other thing to say on that, and it's something that I really picked up from uh, our research school colleague, Lorwyn Randall, who's a bit of an education hero of mine. Um, uh, Lorwyn makes the point that, you know, the the weaker the evidence for any approach, the more important uh, the evaluation that we put in place. And I guess what he means by that, you know, we take some um, you know, uh, metacognition or even, you know, or sort of something like uh, phonics, lots and lots of evidence and studies around that, that, that those um, those approaches that are showing a positive impact. Whereas if we look at something like um, uh, parental involvement strategies or, or, or mentoring, which of course can work, but the broader evidence base is much weaker, it's really, really important that when we're adopting strategies that are less, have less robust evidence behind them that we trial them out and test them and check them before we roll things out right across uh, the school because we haven't got the time to do that and I think children don't have the time to do that and there are better things uh, for, for, for them to be doing. Um, I'd also say things like, you know, as part of testing and learn case studies, so case studies can be really, really effective but what we tend to see is that you know, <laughs> we choose the pupils for the case studies after a program of work is finished. So we choose the ones that we worked for rather than choosing them at the beginning to tell us again, whether, you know, really was this as successful as as we'd like it to have been. And it's hard, you know, um, talked about this before, that sometimes trying to, uh, you know, trying to tease out a causal impact from an approach, like trying to disentangle Medusa's hair, isn't it? But, uh, but actually, the The reality is we do need to try and define precisely as possible you know ask ourselves challenging questions and hold them, hold ourselves to account uh, for it. I don't think we've got the time know and, and 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 for our most disadvantaged pupils uh their education you know everyone's education is precious, but for our most disadvantaged pupils that that that's the most, it, it, it's super 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 precious isn't it uh you know so we need so we need to get it right before we roll things out right across the school. And just just to link to that, Phil, uh, um, so what what I see happening a lot here, and certainly we found it when we did the, the opportunity area study, was uh, around testing and trialing stuff. But actually, it, there was very, very little difference in the schools that we visited and, uh, and looked at as part of that work. There's very, very little difference between those that were successful and those that were, you know, perhaps at the earlier stages of their school improvement cycle, in terms of what they were spending the pupil premium on, uh, the thing that distinguished them was what you know, it's the Jonathan Sharples' work really is that they had the climate for implementation uh, in place, so stable, experienced, effective leadership. You know, subject specialists you know in you in in, 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 in in classrooms pastoral and behavior systems in, in in place whereas those schools that were struggling they were spending the pupil premium on the same things but actually they were experiencing you know really high turnover of uh, of staff particularly at senior leadership level people not in, not bedding into to, to roles so things weren't getting uh, implemented as effectively so we always need to be taking a broader view of it, a, 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 a evaluation to check whether things are, are, are working. Otherwise, I think we can. We, it, it's very easy to mistake su- mistake success.
1: No, definitely, definitely. And as listeners will know, uh, the implementation guides you mentioned, Jonathan. There, I mean, yes. that's the, I've mentioned it every single podcast. I think you know, I've got a, a well-thumbed yep. copy on my desk. I've got copies everywhere. It's just the greatest report in my eye. I know he, he describes it as. Well, I think I've got this right, Mark. He describes it <laughs> as not sexy. But, you know, I think it's the best report there is out there and certainly it's gone through everything that we've tried to do in terms of all the uh, opportunity area and uh, the research school stuff in Blackpool. It's been fundamental to, you know, the, the success. I would like to say of a lot of that so far. I think Jonathan's work is, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah. Um, yes, it, it probably
0: doesn't make the, the headlines, but but I think it's a complete game changer. And I, I, I think I think it's... Yeah, but that once go into hyperbole, and I, and I know Jonathan. You know, Jonathan for a long time, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's an incredible gift to our education sector what he's done there, that, that, that work, um, and and I think it's it's the foundation stone for all the wider work of the EEF. I think I, I think it's superb. So yeah, I, I thoroughly commend it to everybody. Um, uh, and it's a person not just to education. I, I I think actually that 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 work, um. Uh, because what it does is it tackles those broader
1: issues that you need you know, again those foundations that you need to, that you need to have in place oh definitely, and it will improve both your gardening and your running as well that's definitely <laughs> yes yeah okay. well i'm yeah, I'm not in a good place to be doing any
0: running for the next few days. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you'll find
1: a way. I mean, there's a separate podcast that we need to do in terms of, uh, you know, research, school, people, and running. I mean, there's, there's, yes. a, there's a study to be had there, definitely. But we'll we'll move there on is. swiftly, Mark, from, from that discussion. Yes. So the next section, uh, and this is really important in terms of there's a lot of myths that, um, you know, seem to be persisting uh, out there. So part of the reason for this podcast was to try and put, yes. you know, evidence-based practice out there to people and talk about it with teachers in classrooms so what I'm going to do is I'm going to list a few myths that you know that well they may not be myths I mean I'm going to put a few statements out there so I'm just going to start with a proviso that if listeners tune in at certain points or pick bits of this podcast it's going to sound like I'm making some disparaging comments I am not I am simply (laughs) listing uh, myths that I have heard and myths that I have witnessed so I'm just listing those for Mark's you know, Mark's opinions on this. So we'll start with the first yeah. one. So yeah. pupil premium funding must be spent on interventions.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's certainly a myth. And, and, and my starting point for this would be that the um, the DFE published uh, published a frequently asked questions document around pupil premium at the beginning of the summer, uh, which involved you know, in creating, it, you know, so I'd... I don't overcame how good it is or anything, but it aligns really nicely with the uh, People premium guide. But perhaps answers, but it, it, it's a bit drier than that guide. But actually, it, it, it tackles a number of these types of t- types of myths. So I'd really commend, uh, I'd really commend that that to, that to people, and it's in writing. You know, it's a DFE document around accountability for pupil premium. So, uh, you know, if you just put um, it's on the pupil premium web page on the on the DFE website, it absolutely shouldn't be um, just spent on, on on interventions. And it links to a broader uh, a broader myth, which I suspect you might come to in a minute. So I won't preempt that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, uh, I mean, if if we just spend pupil premium on interventions. Sometimes interventions are needed because perhaps we have um, a professional development issue uh, in terms of teaching and learning that we need to address. So that might be the cause of the um, the, the need for the intervention at times. So, what we're doing there is we're just looking for a sticking plaster solution all the the time. And what happens to sticking plasters? They they, they fall off, don't they? so, of course, you know, we're talking about bumpy lives for some of our, you know, really vulnerable children. There'll always be, I think, a need for some intervention, both academic and pastoral, or for lots and lots of complex reasons. But our primary focus always should be that we get it right for these children in the classroom. You know, and, and what we don't want to be doing is thinking, you know, for example, if we haven't got, you know, it, it's not effective to spend lots and lots of money and resources on um, i don't know uh, key stage 4 maths interventions if we don't have subject specialist maths teachers in a, in a maths department and knows you know sometimes in schools that pay some funding circumstances that recruitment is very difficult uh, um, i think it's important to acknowledge that uh, so the pupil premium funding it, it it should be used there first to recruit those highly effective you know, um teachers first, the intervention should be supplementary to that
1: rather than a replacement for it no definitely, definitely. so the second um misconception or myth is that you know say that I've been appointed to be either people premium lead or you know the, the member of the senior leadership team responsible for that. I must attend uh, expensive courses to improve my knowledge <laughs> of pupil <people> premium <laughs> again,
0: I suspect uh listeners will be able to guess the the answer that, you know some of them. Some of those courses can be pretty outrageous in in, in terms of the cost. And I often think, you know, I sort of wince a little at, you know, perhaps how much time could be spent, you know, working with pupils or the resources of professional development that could be put in place, or even, you know, I, I, I guess, you know working across the cover to work across other schools that are doing things really effectively that we, can, that we can learn from rather than... And I think one of the problems with those types of events can be that you just get um, uh, you know, sort of snapshots of good practice, which we're expected to mimic rather than learning at a much deeper level. What, what is the good process involved? How do schools get to where they they got to because that's what we can that we can learn from you know mimicking what other schools do if it's not addressing the needs of our pupils you know it it is unlikely to be successful so i and 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 i wouldn't go to anything like, like that before really doing a good you know analysis of need based on Based on evidence, really, and what I mean by that is not assumptions about pupils, but you know, using uh, you know evidence-based, you know, diagnostic assessment, both in terms of academic and pastoral, but talking to teachers, talking to pupils, you know, uh, and observing those pupils in, in, in the classroom. That has to be the starting point, you know, for for any effective uh, any effective pupil premium strategy some conferences, you know, and, and, and I've spoken at, 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 at some of them, but, but I'd be really, really careful to check, you know, what is the impact this is going to have on my strategy? Yeah, and um, use Gusky's model of professional yeah, impact, evaluating professional development for that. If the impact doesn't go beyond, I like the speaker, or I like the sandwiches, or th- things like that, then it's unlikely to you know, uh, uh, tackle those you know, sort of entrenched inequalities that, you know,
1: that, 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 that drive that attainment gap. Absolutely. absolutely. And, I mean, you know, in terms of the things that you've talked about there that are freely available, so the EES Guide to the People Premium, you've mentioned yeah. the, the DFE, you know, there's lots and lots of things that are available there's there lots. for busy teachers yeah. to easily access. And, of course, yeah. you know, get in touch with the local research guild who give a lot of, you know, like we said, we, we did a, a perfectly free, you know, guides yep. to the people premium. So there's lots and lots of things that people can access there before. And I'm not, you know, I'm not against expert no, no, knowledge or anything like that.
0: Yeah, they have their place. They, they 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 do. And 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 you make a really good point about research schools, Phil. Uh, don't wait. I say to listeners, don't wait for your research school to put it on. Get in touch with them and ask them to put it on. You know, because actually, yeah, and yeah, and and I think if they will, if they can, they will. You know, and and, and I suspect most would. So. And, and, and it's from those discussions and conversations and challenges and asking each other difficult questions. Another thing that's another thing that Law Down, you know, or formerly of Kingsbridge, now now the uh, it was very very good at was getting people people to talk about their strategies and ask each other difficult questions about it and learn from each other. And we're not still not quite doing that well enough in the system. I don't I, I don't think. So yeah, lots and lots of resources. You know, the podcasts that people like you are doing. Phil, you know. Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, John Dunford, so John Dunford uh, uh, is another sort of hero of mine used to talk about, look out, not look up for answers on, on, on this, look out into the
1: system because they're, they're there. Um, you know, and uh, you know, I, I think that's really, really important. No, definitely, definitely. Right. This next one's deliberately controversial. So, listeners, please okay. don't get in touch with me and say that this is my <laughs> viewpoint. This is not my viewpoint. This is just an exaggeration of things that I've heard. So yes. I'm putting this to mark because this is the extreme example of what occasionally people do say. Yes, so, so I think I think I've given enough of a of a disclaimer before I say this. Um, so most disadvantaged pupils are culturally Ill- illiterate and disinterested. So we need to engage them um, by, you know, something like a trip to the farm or take them to the ballet or something. Yeah, I, again, it's quite a leading question. Yes,
0: I I think, I think what sits in, in that is really is about assumptions, you know, and, and what I've come back to again and again is we mustn't be making, you know, assumptions. About, about our disadvantaged and vulnerable learners, then maybe you know um, some disadvantaged people that experience cultural disadvantage for a whole host of, of complex and related r- reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but unless you know, unless we've done an analysis of need and what the reality is, yeah. You know, then we're you know, then we're on really really shaky ground, and I think what happens with those types of things um, is that what people do. Do you remember the the Damien Hines thing around launching the, fifth, the list of fifty things to do that you know mm-hmm. based oh, on the National Trust? You know, it's really really superficial. It's really and, and, and what they're doing is saying, okay, children who experience those types of things during you know, might go to the ballet or things that, those children tend to do well at school, not always but those, so it's, it's an assumption based on a correlation I'm thinking that if you do those things, those children then, you know, are um, you know, are, are, are automatically going to do well, and it's much more complex than, than, than that uh, it's where our curriculum becomes really, really important, isn't it and, and, and about how much Opportunities pupils have to read and read widely, but read in, in school. Um, it's, we can make the biggest difference for those pupils in, in, in the classroom. You know, and, and, and any of those experiences are linked to the curriculum. So, of course, they're important. Of course, you know, so those trips and experiences. But they only really, I'd argue, impact on the achievement of disadvantaged pupils when they link back to what pupils do in, 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 in class. It's also, and it's why teachers are so important on this a, a agenda, that you know, a trip to experience something is only effective if it's rooted in conversation and discussion afterwards. That's where we see the real the the, the real gains. And I, I I think it's uh, it's too simplistic to think I'll just take people on a trip and they're going to learn, learn, learn loads and loads of that because actually, um, children, you know, who do have that sort of Cultural capital for one to, you know for, you know and i I, I think that phrase has a bit of too much baggage now, but actually you know that that can come from a variety a variety of sources, and also it's what do we mean by culturally rich because actually many of our people from a whole host of different backgrounds can be rich in their own cultures that may be slightly different to what you know what someone else might define as as as, as culturally rich but
1: we need to be really, really wary on it, I think. No, definitely. And One of the many things that I like about your approach to this is that You don't talk about pupil premium, and sometimes I hear them talked about as a homogenous group.
2: They really are. We can discuss that,
1: and the way that you talk about these children as individuals, and you can't label everybody with the same thing just because you fall into Mm. this particular category doesn't necessarily automatically make you culturally ill illiterate. Like I didn't say it. I'm culturally illiterate. (laughs) I can't even say the phrase. But um, it doesn't make you disinterested either. You cannot label everybody with one particular. No, and and you just try and unpick what is happening
0: in sort of children's you know, ch- children's lives. Um, and often a, a, you know, I, I, I think sometimes for our pupils, um, yeah, you know, who really really struggle with, 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 with their with learning, sometimes you know, I, I think quite frequently see we see, and, and lots of evidence backs this up, you know, a language gap, but I think it's often linked to a social interaction gap. But it's it's absolutely not about disinterest. I, I would argue that t- time and time again. I think what we have to do, you know, it comes back to the look, uh, it's to talk about sometimes. You know, it's the Harper Lee thing. To truly understand the person, you have to get inside the skin and walk around in it for a little while. And do we really understand? what it's like to grow up as a disadvantaged young person in our school c- communities before we make those sort of generalized sort of sweeping, those, those labels, pupil premium, send EAL, they're so broad. I, I think they're almost worthless. You know, they're useful as flags uh, for pupils at risk of, of underachievement. But for, and, and in some cases they're useful as a label for getting additional funding into school. There's another podcast to argue whether it's additional funding or not, but but, but um. Uh, um, beyond that, you need to set them aside, and, and yeah, every one of those pupils is an individual with their own story behind it. Which is why it's so challenging. That's why it's so challenging for, for schools. You know, it, this is not an easy thing to be dealing uh, with, and we shouldn't. And we shouldn't see it that way. I certainly think we should remember all the time, in particular, that we're we're expecting a lot of our teachers on the, on, on, on this on on this agenda. And it's why, again and again, that we shouldn't try to solve all of society's problems in in our schools, because uh, because we can't. <laughs> um, but we but we can. You know, I think we can do a bit better sometimes in terms of those children's experiences. You know, in in, in the classroom.
1: No, definitely. So I'll just do two quick last ones, Mark, if that's okay. Yeah. Because I'm just yeah. conscious yeah. of. Uh, Conscious of time, and, and I say this every single episode, so listeners will be sick of me saying this, but we, we're trying to keep to commute length, so it depends on what your yes. commute length is, but, uh, yeah, roughly. If you're, about... stuck on the limit.
0: If you're stuck on the limit, limit to change.
1: Yeah, it's okay, isn't it? It's oh, it's okay, but no doubt you run to work, Mark, don't you? are something energetic, so, I mean, I'm sure it's fine for you. Okay, so the last couple are, that, and you mentioned funding there, so, you know, one of the myths that maybe, or maybe it isn't a myth, is that only eligible children can benefit from pupil premium spending. Yeah, absolutely not, and that's tackling that
0: DFE document. So the D- it was always implicit from the DFE, but now it's explicit. The DFE state categorically, you know, it's for schools to determine how that money is is spent, and and again, disadvantage. It's like, what does disadvantage look like in your school community? It's for schools to define what that looks like. You're accountable in terms of outcomes for pupils with that pupil premium label, but it's for schools to determine because it's complex, isn't it? Lots of schools will have that will have the experience of uh, vulnerable pupils who are, you know, perhaps on low income, insecure, uh, in insecure jobs that just sit above uh, sort of eligibility for pupil premium, and indeed, uh, it's the Stephen Garrod thing around, you know, that some of the most vulnerable families who don't have access to. You know, uh, benefits of British citizenship as well. So those you know, so very very vulnerable uh, people. We saw quite a bit of that in, when we we're working in in in, in Oldham families that are newly arrived to the country. Now, what, you know, it'd be morally questionable, wouldn't it, for you know for the for schools not to be able to deploy their resources towards those vulnerable people. So as school leaders, you have you determine what that you know, what, what that disadvantage looks like. And indeed, that's why that leans towards how we can be funding, you know, getting it right in the classroom, not just you know, uh, in, in, in
1: interventions with that with, with that funding. So, categorically, that's, you know, that, that, that's a myth. Okay, and the last one. Um, so, all data is good data. So, for example, um, <laughs> you know, the, the in-school or in-class attainment gap is kind of a good predictor of where we're up to in terms of, sort of a wider strategy.
0: Yes. So data can be can, can be useful but again we we talked a lot of, a little bit about it earlier on about how particularly when it's when it's uh when it's mixed up with accountability then it can be really 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 prob- problematic and i think what is that data telling you you know what 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 is it what is it for and of course you know in, depending on school context it can be really really problematic so um yeah of course in class comparisons can be useful if, but but i but i think we need to be using standardized tests diagnostic assessments rather than you know um just just relying on t- t- teacher assessment uh, that has its place as as, as well as 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 ob- observations but um you know, it depends, you know, sometimes that data can be almost worthless. So, so in the schools I'm working in where, you know, you've got sort of 60%, 70% pupil premium and then comparing the in-school gap, well, actually, there isn't a gap there to, 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 to compare because certainly when you get up to those types of proportions in a school, the chances are that the vast majority of pupils are from very poor backgrounds, you know, and, and, and so the comparison is, 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 is worthless. One of the things that we're seeing, uh, we're going to see in the new uh, uh, pupil premium accountability from the the DFE is we're going to keep keep that that measure of disadvantaged pupils in your school compared to non-disadvantaged pupils nationally. That's going to remain. And and, and all credit to Robbie Coleman and Alex Quigley at the EF on, on, on this. They really pushed around how fine, that's an, if that's an accountability measure, fine, fine, fine. But actually, it isn't that useful to schools as an improvement metric. So what, what, what we're going to see in the, in the uh, hopefully going to see in the, the, improve, the people premium accountability document is uh, how are your disadvantaged pupils performing compared to uh, disadvantaged people in contextually similar schools, you know, through the Families of Schools database uh, on the EF website, which I think is a much more useful sort of set of data. But sometimes, you know, otherwise, those comparisons, people from different starting points, almost meaningless, aren't they? So, yeah, so, and and of course, we know now that Ofsted are not going to be looking at that internal data. If it's being used used for diagnostic assessment, I think they're going to be really, really efe- e- 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 effective but we need to be wary uh, on, on, on on that. And again, not be
1: driven by the label. No, definitely, definitely. Mark, just want to say thank you so much for uh, for speaking to me yeah. this evening. I've re- okay. I'm scribbling away, writing lots and lots of things down that I'm going to take away personally, so I'm sure that the listeners are going to get a great deal from this. Um, in terms of what I'll do is I'll put some links to the documents you've talked about and to the, the work yes. that you're doing around this on the podcast uh, notes page at the beginning, uh, and then listeners can get in touch with you or they can find out those documents. So just want to well, say thank you so and, much again. Not, not at all. And lots of things, some of the things are written and you know, some of those
0: sort of analysis studies, I, I, we, I've got a link on my Twitter page. They can, they, 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 they can be accessed there. And we're sort of working on lots of those kind of things all, 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 all the time. And you know, if anybody's got any questions, or you know, or people might disagree with me. Uh, I've got a 14-year-old daughter, so I'm used to people disagreeing with me. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, you know, please get in touch. And I'm interested in, the, I'm endlessly interested in some of the, you know, the things that people
1: are doing as well
0: to try and tackle this issue. So please, please get in touch. And thank you again for uh, for asking me.
1: No problem, no problem. And hope to see you fairly soon on the uh, the research school networks days. Likewise, likewise. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Cheers. Oh. This week on the podcast pedagogy section, I am reading Curriculum, Athena versus the Machine by Martin Robinson, and you'll be aware of Trivium, where Martin explored whether a contemporary Trivium grammar, dialectic, and rhetoric could unite progressive and traditionalist institutions. And in this new book, Martin has pitted Athena, the Greek goddess of wisdom and strategy, against the machine, a data-obsessed capitalist version of education where measures and metrics are cherished much more than wisdom. And I've read chapters 1 to 5, and uh, here are my thoughts so far. So we hear so much about a knowledge-rich and broad and balanced curriculum, Uh, But what does that actually mean in practice? And we hear about powerful knowledge, but to what end? So qualifications for social mobility. Well, as previous guest Michael Young outlined to me in a podcast, um, for society to be mobile, some have to move down the escalator and not many are. Plus, do we educate so that people can become downwardly mobile? I'm not sure that we do. So Martin argues that knowledge as an input-output model is mechanistic and we need to bring the human back in. So curriculum at its heart can challenge us to reassess our values and understand meanings. But uh, education can also help to free us, and this should be first and foremost a freedom of thought. So I am, as we now speak, uh, tackling Chapter 6, The Teacher, uh, and I have Martin as a guest on an upcoming podcast, so very excited for this. And as you will know, there have been um, rather mixed reviews from TES and Schools Week about this, but people may not agree... But what Martin uh, presents in terms of arguments are so stimulating that this makes this an absolute must-read for all school leaders, in my view. So I look forward to speaking to Martin more about that when he's up on the podcast. So the book in question is Curriculum Athena vs. the Machine by Martin Robinson, and that is available from all good, and as Craig Bottom would say, evil bookshops, and it's also available on the Crown House website, which is www.crownhouse.co.uk. could have and I almost did speak to Mark all evening there so thank you again Mark for your time and look forward to seeing you very shortly on a research school conference. So um, if you'd like to know more about the topics that Mark was talking about namely the EES Guide to the People Premium or the new DFE guidance I have posted links to this on the show notes page. So moving into the shameless plugs section, and I'm not allowed to plug Research Ed Blackpool anymore as we have now sold an unbelievable 700 tickets. So thank you to everybody who's involved with that, from the speakers to the delegates to Simon Cox, obviously, who's overseeing this, but to the school and the cleaners and the site staff, everybody that puts that on. We cannot do that without you, and this is a public thank you for everything that you are doing. So look forward to seeing everybody in March, ...in Blackpool at St Mary's. Okay, speaking of plugs for Research Ed events... ...I'll also be speaking at Research Ed Birmingham... ...where I'll be talking about using evidence and research... ...to escape the hamster wheel. And sales for that are going phenomenally well as well. I know that Claire is looking at an even bigger venue. So it's fantastic news for the Research Ed family. Okay, so speaking of family... ...and I like to think that the listeners now... ...are becoming the Nailers Natter family. So... I'm still looking for some of you, if you'll be kind enough, to record a segment for the podcast pedagogy section. Uh, if you're a dab hand with a guitar and you can record a jingle, then even better. So there are hundreds of you out there, so don't be shy and send me a message or an email with about a one-minute recording about how you have used something from the podcast in your practice. We want to be much more than just a jingle of talking to teachers. The, the, um, the guests on the podcast have made a massive impact into my pedagogy and practice in my classroom, so I know that will be the same for you. If you can share that with wider listeners, then everybody benefits. So if you could, get in touch with me through the usual channel, so they've got the website or the email or Twitter. And speaking of getting in touch, uh, if you would like us to come in via the Teacher Development Trust or the Research School to deliver some evidence and research-based CPD for you in your school, then please get in touch via either the Teacher Development Trust website or the Research School website or simply the Naylor's Natter website. So next week we have the Vesper Mindset who will be talking about their new book. That's the A-Level Mindset. So we've got that coming up next week. It just remains for me to say thank you very much for listening again. If you're on half term like we are next week, enjoy that. Spend some time on yourself, with your friends, with your family. But if you get time to listen to a podcast, there will be a Nailers Natter next week. So thank you again for listening. See you next time
3: just talking to teachers
0: talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at pna 1977
2: on twitter Nimmers, Natter, just talking to teachers